I'm recording on the Zoom. Becoming an audio expert. Jesus, Rose, thank you. I'm sorry I'm so stupid. Welcome to Details, Please. I'm Rose Reed, and my co-host is my mom, Gail. So we heard from you, our listeners, that you really want to hear a little bit more from me and mom and about our different perspectives on life, the big and the little things. We want to feature more candid conversations about that in this season's podcast. What the hell are you doing? Nothing. I'm not doing anything. I moved in my chair. What's that I hear right now? It's like... I I don't know what to say. I'm not moving. I'm like a statue. (laughs) Each episode, we're going to cover a couple topics. Anything from Wikipedia rabbit holes to a current song that's keeping us going or big news items. So we wanted to start this episode with one of them. All right. What is it about... A big egomaniacal man. Uh, yeah. Ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> okay. So is it, is it a man named Harvey? Yeah, unfortunately. And his last name is Weinstein. You have to know I hate that this guy is Jewish. <laughs> it just, but I think it really says a lot more about men and not really so much about Jews. It just shows that it doesn't really matter where you come from, what religion you are, who raised you, how much you adore your mother, you can still turn out to be a big woman bullying ding dong. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Roman Pharaoh said it really well when he was like, it has nothing to do with the industry. It has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, it's Hollywood. It's really just about a man being in a position to abuse power and all these other minions who are happy to heed the bullying, the silence, and um, ultimately trade that bullying for more power, more money, whether it's a PR firm or whether it's a legal team and um, or whether it's an assistant who feels like they don't have a choice, but they do have a choice. Everybody has a choice. That's like that was the hardest thing for me to understand was I get that this guy, Harvey Weinstein, you know, has all these issues and lures women, you know, who are in their early 20s. So, you know, one, he has more of a bargaining power over them. And two, they're more naive that like this situation's unfolding before your eyes. But I can't believe that there are so many female assistants who would call, set up the meeting and leave. I would never do that. I would never do that. I don't care for what money. I don't care if I had to like move out of my apartment and sleep on the couch on someone's floor. Like I just would never do that. I know. And I think that's probably one of the more surprising and interesting in a sad way parts of this story. But I want to point out one thing to you that um, shouldn't be overlooked. And I'm sure, you know, you don't intend to overlook this, but not only was he a powerful man in terms of what he could do for people and in in terms of his position in society and in the industry, he was a big fat guy. And, you know, in a lot of these stories that these women have told, they were young, but once they did realize what was going on and they all did eventually, you know, it didn't take long, they were overpowered. You know, he, it wasn't just that he was emotionally bullying them. He was physically 
assaulting them. No, I... And overpowering them. No, I understand that completely. I just can't believe how many women called somebody and said, Hi, Harvey Weinstein would like to meet with you about a script. Can you meet him downstairs at the peninsula, knowing that they, on the moment that she was going to get there, they were going to change the location from, you know, the lobby or dining room to his hotel room you know is anybody asking that question yeah they are but there but you know and a lot of um there was in the report in the new york times and roman farrell's new yorker article you know people there there were quotes from assistants who aren't you know remain anonymous um but they said you know i felt horrible doing it or they were the ones who reported saying that Harvey would ask us to set these up at these appointments, knowing that if a woman called, it would be it would appear better and that we would be there in the beginning and then he would dismiss us. How does somebody basically justify saving their own ass and improving their own well-being at the expense of another? And not just emotional expense, but, you know, true pain and suffering. I don't have the answer for that. Oh, I thought you would have the answer. <laughs> well, I wish I did. Uh, have you seen any of The Handmaid's Tale? <laughs> yeah, I've seen all of it. Are okay. So, oh, I couldn't watch it after. Like, oh, yeah, it's gruesome. It's so gruesome. But there's this one episode early on where they they let the 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 handmaids tear apart this rapist, this supposed <laughs> rapist. That's what I've been envisioning in my mind. <laughs> That's what we need. Handmade justice. One thing we don't understand, you and I, as people of privilege and who've had comfortable lives and have never really had to make such a horrible choice, is what is it that drives somebody to do something they know is wrong, but in the rationalization with the rationalization that it's about their survival. And maybe it's hard to say, well, the women that worked for Harvey Weinstein could have survived in another way. I think that's absolutely true. But I think that the human mind and, and human behavior is such that we, we convince ourselves of a reality that may or may not exist. And, and perhaps for these people, the reality of their survival required them to do this. Now, I can't say I disagree with you, though, in terms of I just can't imagine a situation where I would do that to another human being. Or the situation where as a 24, I mean, I can recall when I told you, you, I don't even know if you remember this, but I was 22 and I just graduated from college and I was in LA and working odd jobs and in my hopes of like using my quote unquote liberal arts degree, I was volunteering at a cultural center. He said something like, this sucks, or that sucks, or he said something, and I just didn't like the way he said it. So as a way to, in my own way, trying to ask him to speak more professionally around me, I said, you know, I've never used that word. And he said, that's too bad, because sucking is a good thing. And I told you that, and you said, do not go back there. He's just testing the boundaries with you. Yeah. And... I felt bad not going back and quitting in person, even though I was volunteering. You told me to send an email. God, Rose, I apologize, but honestly, this this just is not striking a chord. But I'm really, it sounds like really great advice, and I'm really proud of myself (laughs) for giving it to you. Yeah, 
yeah, it was good advice, but you know, I also was in such disbelief. I personally, I was like, there's no way he was trying to say that to me. He just was voicing an opinion or something. And you were like, you don't owe him to like go and see what else is next. I think those are clues, you know, when somebody says something and I think you're, you know, I was right. It is, it is someone testing. They're testing you, you know, how much can I get away with? How far can I push the envelope? And then they convince themselves that you're interested in them. But I don't think that was Weinstein's case at all. I think he really just got off in his, in a very disturbed way. You know, I got really mad at all these Hollywood women for not coming forward sooner. But then I realized, well, you know, I had an incident and I never went public with it. You know, I, I accepted the resolution of the, the company that I was working with and, and, you know, moved on and never thought, you know, I've thought about the incident many times, but I have never thought, gee, I should have spoken up so that he didn't do that to other women. And then I found out this guy was harassing other women, but not in a physical way, in just a, a verbal way. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that terrible. I, you know, I was already married. I was working at Arthur Anderson. I was um, in Dalton, and we were celebrating the end of this big job. At, at the, I was trying to keep up. I was the only woman, and I was trying to keep up with the guys. Yeah. And I, so I was drinking shots of God knows what. I don't remember. And I was dancing with the partner on the job, and I could feel that he had an erection. Okay, yeah. so, yeah, it's disgusting. Um, and I remembered this thought, and this is what came back to my mind, which was, oh, even partners get hard. So, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I was, let's see, I was 28. Okay. Maybe, yeah. So, but what I... What I did was they, the guys wanted to go to Chattanooga because that was like what, what they did, you know, and it was like 11 o'clock at night or midnight. And then it occurred to me that I did not need to get in the car with these drunk people and be the only woman. And no. um, Chattanooga, and I said, okay, I got to go back to my room and um, for a minute. And I went back to my room. I locked the door. I shut off the lights. And I passed out, but I was awake. They came and banged on my door to get me to come with them. Yeah. And I just didn't answer. You're and, so uh, smart. Oh, my God. I don't even know why I was so smart, but I was, I just, you know, that That's was my That's crazy, Mom. Isn't that, I know. It was pretty crazy. You said it took you until you read this article to think of it. Is that because it's one of those things that kind of repressed because of a little bit of shame or because it's so commonplace? Or because you felt I, lucky? I don't think I took it that seriously at the time. But when I thought about it, I realized that I could have gotten myself into a really bad situation. And, and that, you know, just, and I just was grateful that I had the wherewithal to just lock myself in my room. But also you used like a kind of vocabulary that I feel like we need to teach women rather than something that's assumed, which is I'm just going to excuse myself for a minute. You don't put your, it's like you didn't feel comfortable putting, saying no. Right. I'm not and going I think to that, guys. Right. right. And I sometimes think that our stance on just saying no or say stop, it's just not really practical for the social situations that we find ourselves in with, because usually it's a social situation. 
Well, and the, the, I think there's also a legitimate um, uh, fear that if you say no or you reject somebody right in their face, that they'll get angry. And then, you know, that's when, you know, bad shit can really happen. Talking about Harvey Weinstein has brought up a lot of things for me and mom, how some people really feel left behind or silenced or marginalized. Have you felt this way? We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail at our mailbox, 862-800-7654. And mom really wants to change the hashtag from me too to you ought to know. We want to work to encompass all public safety issues from gun violence to police brutality to unwanted sexual advances. We think that there's a connection here with the abuse of power. We have one more segment for you for our first show in our second season. And in light of the seriousness of our topic today, it seemed a little incongruous to end with a new segment called Ask Gail Anything, where friends and fans send a voice memo or email to mom. It concerns everyday problems, some that are quite ordinary. So we decided to share it. Hi, Gail. This is Caitlin from Denver. And I'm wondering what deodorant advice you have for stressful situations. Um, I'm currently on a regime where I put on this crystal deodorant and then I put on like natural, you know, like Tom's like deodorant afterwards. Um, And it usually works, but in stressful situations, it doesn't. It's a little bit of sweat and it's a little bit of smell. So what do you do? Here is where, you know, I am truly a, a child of the 50s. I use Ban antiperspirant uh, unscented stick, and it works pretty great. This is not my area. I should, I should have really issued the caveat up front that this is not my area of expertise. But I have lived a long time, used a lot of deodorant. And I tried Tom's and, you know, I never tried a crystal, but I tried Tom's. I tried other things. I tried roll-on when you weren't supposed to use aerosol. I don't use aerosol, but no, but seriously, Caitlin, if you don't want to go to the, how long are we really going to live anyway? Just use the ban antiperspirant method. Then I would wear white, which I think shows perspiration the least. And I would use some cologne and, uh, you know, back in the old days, and I mean, you know, my grandma, uh, and that's, you know, 100 years ago, they used to wear shields. They're kind of like the um, same idea. In fact, you could just use these. They're kind of like the liners that sometimes come with um, sports bras. And you just, you know, put them in there or you could actually use some Velcro and put them on the inside of your shirt. You could try that too, if that's not too uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to the first show of our second season of Details, Please. Music and motivation by Alanis Morissette, all from her early album, Jagged Little Pill, available on Spotify. Thank you to Matthew Reed, Wendy Zuckerman, Cassia Roth, and huge thanks to Emily Green. Special thanks to Bobby Benet and everyone at Spoke, the free new podcast app from SiriusXM, and the only app that you can listen to playlists and clips curated by humans. Samantha Rita Vigna, you are an inspiration to me and mom. This episode was produced by myself and edited by me and Gail Reed. This is a Rose Reed production. 
We're hoping to come out more regularly, so check your phones every week for a new episode.